Uh, thank you, Pastor Stephen. Well, it's an encouraging to hear what uh, you all have been doing for, for many years as, as a church in missions and sending out a team uh, that's going this week. Uh, it's a great encouragement. God calls us to go to the nations. How are we doing, would you say, as a, as a church globally in going uh, to the nations? World evangelization. Uh, while the gospel has advanced to every continent, still roughly one in three persons in the world still has virtually no exposure to the good news of Jesus. Half of the people who are unreached from unreached people groups are Muslims. And it's roughly one in three unbelievers in the world is a Muslim. One point, what are they, five billion people. But only 6% of those who are working cross-culturally uh, as missionaries serve among Muslims. Only 6%. Globally, we have a problem with going. How about you? Your church, Mission of the World, is challenging our denomination to send 1% of its members overseas in the next 10 years. That's about 2,800 new workers. And in faith, Mission of the World is reorganizing how they do their services and support and send people in order to anticipate uh, that growth. Today, how about yourself? Do you know the struggle to consider what's my role, my part in the mission of God's church and see what's going on globally and perhaps even consider how we have not yet accomplished the task of taking the good news to the nations? Well, if that's the case, maybe you sense even your failure, Deuteronomy is the book for you. Because Deuteronomy is setting a pattern of grace after failure. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. It's the fifth book in the Bible. And our setting is God has brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. They were at the edge of the promised land, and they failed to go in. They failed to believe God. So they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now they are back at the edge of the promised land. And Moses is speaking to the people to persuade them to believe God have faith, and go in and take the land that God had promised to give them. So Moses is reminding them of what God has done. Now, where we are today in the history and progress of God's story is that the gospel has spread beyond the borders of Israel. And uh, Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, and the land we're looking forward to inheriting is a new heaven and a new earth where all the nations are there worshiping God. So our context is not the same as Deuteronomy, but the lessons learned from Deuteronomy are very instructive for us. Will we walk by faith and go to our neighbors, to our community, to the nations? Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, perhaps you want to really consider what Moses is saying and how it can help you to come to the point of believing, to receiving the promises and the benefits that God is saying. And look at how Moses is saying historically what God has done and how that stacks up to help you. So before I read, let us pray 
uh, for understanding of God's word. Lord, we pray that you would persuade us that you are good, that you, we would believe your words, that we would believe your promises. Help us with the objections that we have in our hearts towards going and enable us to follow you wholeheartedly and go in love to the nations. Lord, open us up. What are we to do next? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to look at just a small part of Deuteronomy, but it's a whole chapter. And where we serve, they often read a large portion of Scripture, and uh, so that's what I'm going to do. I want you to consider, what is God saying, what's he uh, doing, and what are the people's response, okay? So let's stand as we read God's Word together. Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and in Edri. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes, for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good to us to do, so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. In the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. 
Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land up, land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him I, and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, 
and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in the, that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, this morning, I want us to see from this passage that because the Lord speaks his words, in fact, he commands us, go to the nations. Because the Lord speaks his words, in fact, he commands us, go to the nations. Well, to go requires faith. The fact remains that the people are great and terrifying. That's why they call them terrorists, isn't it? Well, we have all kinds of objections. I can't go. I can't go to this place, that country. Like Caleb, we need to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. How can we get that faith that gets us going? Well, first, we see that because the Lord swore a covenant, go to the nations. Verse 8, Moses is referring to the covenant that had been made with Abraham and his descendants. The promise was to make them into a great nation and that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The covenant was foundational to God's mission and their mission as a people. Abraham was childless and God promised that through his offspring they would be as numerous as the stars. And uh, that's in Genesis chapter 15. And Moses is quoting that here in verse 10. And he says that God has fulfilled in part uh, this part of the covenant. The proof is that they've appointed leaders now for thousands, for hundreds and fifties. Yes, they've grown. So he's saying if God's fulfilled that part of the covenant, will he not also fulfill the part of the covenant to give you the land? God's word can be trusted. He has sworn a covenant. Now, words that we say are so important. Uh, words that can be trusted. Where we work among South Asian people, uh, it's from, they're from an honor and shame culture. And I think you probably understand that. It means that when we invite people to an activity at the church or in our home, they say to us, oh yes, I'll come 100%. They want to honor us and not have the shame of saying no. So they say, yes, I'll come. And, uh, but they don't come, and we understand that. And so we don't take offense uh, by that, but it can make it hard to trust the words of what they say. Uh, it's good news that God is not like that. He swears a covenant, and he will keep his word. He will accomplish what is promised. So how about for you? Have you been hurt by people's unfaithfulness? They broke their promise to you? Whether that's a friend or a family member or a spouse, it really hurts. 
makes it difficult to trust. But in contrast, it's the Lord who is faithful to his word, and he keeps his promises. And that is what can heal the hurts in our lives and the brokenness that we experience. The people at this time uh, that Moses is writing could have moaned and complained, my dad was not a spiritual leader, and that is why I spent my childhood in the desert. Now, whatever your complaint or your handicap might be, it's the Lord in his faithfulness that will help us to move forward and give us confidence to start again, to go where he leads and to follow his call. Would you like to be a part of that community that's moving in that direction? Would you like to leave that kind of legacy to your children and the grand grandchildren of the Lord's faithfulness to you and to, to follow his call? What well, may be for you that words seem cheap. Uh, past hurts, past failures, easy to say, easy to break. So you may be slow to believe, slow to obey the Lord, and slow to go. Well, the next point can really help because it's God's actions that confirm his words. So secondly, because the Lord is good, go to the nations. How do we see that the Lord is good? The Lord is giving them the land. No more wandering the wilderness. It's a permanent place to be. No rent payment, no mortgage payment. What difference would that make to your family budget? It's a gift. The land that they're, he's giving them is good, verse 25 and 35. They saw the fruit of the land that had been brought back. There was no doubt it was a good land. Verse 31, what does he say? He says, it was the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. What a tender picture. The reason you're here now is because God's carried you. It's what he's done, not what you've done. I remember very clearly, uh, when I was a small boy, I might have been four or five or something, we were on family vacation, and we were in Texas, and it was summer, and it was so hot. We were at Six Flags, and I remember as a child moaning, my feet hurt, and my dad came alongside and picked me up, and he carried me. That's what God is doing for his people. He carries us. That's why we're here. Well, how else do we see that God is good? Another way we see it is their support raising needs were met. Might be one of our objections. The Lord provided that in the wilderness. The water from the rock, the daily manna, the quail to eat during those days in the wilderness. So scratch that objection off the list too. The Lord, in fact, is good. He loves you. The Lord loves you not because of something in you, but something in God. And that's what we want. Deuteronomy 7, chapter 7, verse 7, makes this ever so clear. It's a great verse. Let me read it. Uh, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Yes, 
The Lord is good. So, when we obey God and go to people that are resistant to the gospel, it may be that there's more trouble that we get and more difficulty comes in our lives and we can be tempted to think that God's not good. Or when you trust in Jesus and become a Christian and things get more hard, you can say, well, God's not good. This isn't part of the deal, is it? No, God is good. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. Or Hebrews 11 speaks of those who by faith had great victories, and also those who by faith were tortured, mocked, suffered imprisonment. So what do we need to do? We need to have realistic expectations. Jesus has defeated Satan at the cross, but the fighting has not yet stopped. We live in a spiritual war zone. So if the people don't listen to your words and things get more difficult, pray that your good actions would be a blessing to them and that they would in fact believe the good news that you've shared with them. Go to the nations, because first, the Lord swore a covenant. Second, because the Lord is good. And third, because the Lord is with you. Go to the nations. Verse 30, the Lord your God set before you, goes before you. He will fight for you, as he did first in Egypt, remember that? Second in the wilderness, that great and terrifying wilderness. And third, as he did conquering Og, king of Bashan. That's in verse 4. Now later in chapter 2, the sermon continues in 3, and he talks about that a lot more. Uh, Og, king of Bashan, was of the giant race, like Goliath. His, his bed, says, was about 13 and a half feet long and 6 feet wide. He was one big guy. So you say, I can't go to the nations. It's great and terrifying. Remember how the Lord is with you. Believe his commands, and we can turn and go. Who are you reluctant to go to? There may be friends, family members, classmates, colleagues that you don't talk to about Jesus. Perhaps you could quite naturally talk with them about how the Lord has been with you this week. And because he's with you, pray that he gives you the words to speak to them. Are there people in this community that as a church you could go to? Start there, locally, reaching out to people, and then start to think, and, you know, is God calling me to a different place, to move long-term to people who are unreached, who have no church in their area that they can hear the good news? But you say, I don't know the way to go. Uh, remember verse 32 and verse 33. The Lord your God went before you to seek you out a place to pitch your tents. Verse 33, to show you the way to go by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The Lord is with you. He has led you and he will lead you. But you object. You say, I want a map. I want a GPS. Uh, better than that, is that the Lord is with us. He's given us his spirit to live in the believer and to guide us. Now, when people come to London, like your group is going on a short-term team, and I meet them at the airport, I take them on the plane, 
on the train and show them the way to go, where to transfer, what to get on, and all that. And it has happened repeatedly. They say to me, Kurt, I am so glad that you've come because uh, I can just enjoy the ride. I, I don't know where we're going, but you know where we're going, and that's sufficient. That's what it is. The Lord is with us. He knows the way, and he's going to show us. That's sufficient. So he also says here in this chapter that going without the Lord is certain disaster. Verse 40 and following. After they had disobeyed, God said, turn and go into the wilderness. Don't go into land. But they, then they said, they thought it was easy to go up and presumptuously went up. But the Lord said, do not go up and fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. They were defeated because the Lord wasn't with them. Because the Lord swore a covenant, because the Lord is good, because the Lord is with you, fourthly, because rebellion can lead to forfeiting the blessings God has promised. Go to the nations. They were told in verse 26, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. What was underlying their rebellion? Verse 32, what was the problem? The problem wasn't that they should have been taller or stronger. It wasn't that God was asking them to do something that they couldn't do. It was too difficult. No, their problem was that they did not believe what God had said. No faith. Also note, it's not a matter of believing God to do whatever we want. Uh, it's believing what God has promised, here in particular, to fulfill the mission of the covenant. The giants exposed where their faith was. It was not in the Lord, who had just delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. And their rebellion provoked the Lord's anger, and as a consequence, he says, not one of them of this evil generation would enter the land except for Caleb and Joshua. They forfeited the blessing of living in the promised land. And Moses also provoked the Lord's anger, verse 37. That's explained in Numbers chapter 20. Now note, they did not forfeit their salvation. The covenant is given unconditionally. It's made by God with his people. However, breaking the covenant uh, can result in consequences or called covenant curses. The Lord did not listen to them also because they did not repent. They had tears, but they had not turned back and obeyed. They're not going into the wilderness as the Lord had commanded them. They're staying in Kadesh Barnea, verse 46. So let's apply this. If we look at present difficulty and see that there is sin in our lives that has not been repented of, then we need to repent. To repent means simply to turn from going our own way and come back 180 degrees to Jesus and trust in him alone. You know, for me, I thought that if I trusted God with my entire life, he would send me somewhere where I would be most miserable. You know the worst thing I could think of? is to be a missionary. I thought it would be horrible. Why do I want to go to a different place? I had to repent. And ironically, it's interesting to find out what I thought I didn't want to do. It's the place of greatest joy because God is with us and he, and he gives us what it takes. But it's kind of complex and it can be unhelpful to assign 
a meaning like God's curse to our situations. Uh, the Lord, if the Lord really dealt with us according to our sins, we'd be in a lot worse shape than we are. Uh, the Jews asked Jesus uh, about the man born blind. Was it this man or his parents that sinned? Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Or in Luke chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all those others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So carefully consider, am I repentant? Perhaps for the first time, you need to turn and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe there's something you feel like I'm holding on to that I know is wrong that I need to let go of, to repent. But if need be, if we don't, we may forfeit some of the blessings that God has as he disciplines us. The wilderness was a place of discipline or training. Now, it's unhelpful to say for a Christian that uh, the Lord God is punishing me. All the punishment for our sins was put on the cross. Finished. But discipline is corrective training that teaches us the right way to live. So because the Lord swore a covenant, because the Lord is good, because the Lord is with you, because rebellion can lead to forfeiting the blessings God has promised. And finally, because the Lord has raised up a prophet like Moses, go to the nations. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we continue to the end later in the sermon, points us to a prophet like Moses who was to come. And it's interesting, Muslims argue that that prophet was Muhammad. Now, if we look at the context and all, Muhammad doesn't fit. And Acts chapter 7, verse 37 makes that really clear. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. And the author of Hebrews explains that, that Jesus is the one who's been counted worthy of more glory and honor than Moses, of a better covenant. The things before were a shadow of what's to come. Now, the intention of the covenant is union and communion with God and his people. And Jesus has fulfilled that. Michael Williams in his book writes, Jesus is the true covenant partner of God. He fills this role, however, not for himself. He had nothing to gain, but for us, the faithless covenant partner. And in his representative work, his standing in for us, he achieves righteousness and obedience for the people of God. He is the true son of Abraham, the true Davidic king, the true Israelite. And he will one day finally bring salvation to the nations. The great missionary, Helen Rosevere, made this comment about her commitment to go to Africa. She said, God only asked me to give up 20 years of my life. He, he gave up his very life for me on the cross. He only asked me to go from England to the Congo. He came from heaven to earth for me. He came from deity to humanity. He came from perfection to sin for me. Why was Helen Rosevere willing to go? It was not out of a desire for uh, adventure, for travel. It was not out of wanting to feel good about herself or uh, do nice things to other people. 
It was her response of faith to the one who had given everything for her. What is your response of faith? What is God calling you to do today? How will you respond? Your objections, you ready to let go of those? Maybe for the first time to come to faith in the Lord Jesus, to repent and turn to him. Perhaps to say, if you're a part of the church, I want to be a part of the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is done by the church, not just the pastors. What part are you to play? Is God calling me to go to the nations, to a foreign place? Maybe that 1%. From a church like this, 1% is nothing. It should be maybe 4%. What about the, the rest of 90% of you all that, that are called to stay? to support, to send? Do you have one of the prayer cards of one of your missionaries to pray for them, to financially support them? Ask your pastors for one of those cards. Get involved in the mission of the church. And what about this community? Who's gonna reach worship? Is it not you together as a church? What is your part? Would you talk to one of your pastors afterwards, say, this is maybe what God is calling me to do, my next step of faith. Uh, maybe I want to go overseas. Maybe I want to uh, think God is leading me to be more involved in sending. I, I want to reach this community. I don't know what to do. Organize a plan. Help me to, to know how to share my faith. Whatever it is, speak to one of your pastors. Say, Pastor, this maybe is my next step of faith. Help me. Respond. Why? Because of what God has done and who he is. It enables us to have a, a faith to obey him and to follow and to go to the nations. Let's pray.